Thank you very much, Alex, for uh, reading that. Um, and Alex is actually probably thanking me a bit because I didn't ask her to read the uh, long genealogy that uh, appears in between uh, that bit in chapter 3 and chapter 4 um, about the temptation of Jesus. That's 15 verses, uh, which is represented on the back of your balance, um, notice sheets by just three dots after the word uh, heli. So we missed out a genealogy uh, covering several thousand years uh, with 77 generations, including some real tongue twisters like uh, uh, Mattathias and Zerubbabel and Aminadab, um, and also Nagai. I mean, who would want to be called Nagai? Uh, but I'm sure you would have managed brilliantly, Alex, so but uh, thank you. But this genealogy is actually quite important. In fact, it's very important, and I'll come back to explain that in a moment. But let's just pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance as we dive into this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by your Spirit about Jesus, the Son of God. Speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, who do you think you are? When I, when I say that phrase, you probably think of the BBC genealogy program, um, which I think is just currently running now. It's its 18th series. It's been running since 2004. So I wonder if any of you uh, knows who was the first person to appear on Who Do You Think You Are back in October 2004. Anybody know? You're all too young for that, aren't you, I suspect. It was Bill Oddy of The Goodies. Anyone remember Bill Oddy of The Goodies? Um, this is my second question about who do you think you are. So which of the following... Um, had the most ever viewers for a program of Who Do You Think You Are? It was either it was Boris Johnson, um, Bruce Forsyth, or J.K. Rowling. Which of those three had the most ever viewers for a program of... Any thoughts? J.K. Rowling over here, Brucey over there. Um, this side has it. It was indeed Brucey. Nice to see you, to see you Nice. They all got over 7 million viewers, but uh, Brucey just pipped it with 7.2 million viewers back in July 2010. But it's actually a serious question. Who do you think you are? You see, the premise of this BBC program, which has been running for 18 series, is that our identity is somehow wrapped up in our ancestry. Uh, you may remember the actor Danny Dyer getting very emotional when he discovered that he was related to King Edward III. For others, our identity isn't found in our distant past, in our ancestry, but in our undiscovered present. For many, these people, there is some profound self-identity that we just need to acknowledge, to release, to express for then we will achieve our true potential. We will be our true selves. And you'll find this preoccupation, most with, with, with self-realization and with self-empowerment, you'll find it most clearly expressed in Disney movies. Just take the first Frozen film. Actually, it's not even a film. It's now going to be a musical in the West End. The heroine, as you know, is Elsa. And her great moment of self-discovery in the film is, is that song, Let It Go. I, I won't sing it for you now. Perhaps the music group can sing it. I don't know whether you know it. But uh, um, anyway, this song talks about Elsa expressing her inner self 
and not being constrained by rules, by right or by wrong. It's a song that has become a kind of anthem for many young people in our world today. So who do you think you are? I can be whoever or whatever I want to be. All I have to do, to borrow a few more musical illustrations, is climb every mountain. You know that one, don't you? Or express yourself. Who was that by? Madonna. Come on, wake up, number 11 11 o'clock. Or reach for the stars. S Club 7, yes, you're there. Now, I am going to come to Luke's gospel in a moment. But before I do that, I just want to bring in the Archbishop of Canterbury, if I may. Not because of a song he sang, but to ask the question, who does Justin Welby think he is? What is his identity? Because for the first 60 years of his life, Justin Welby was convinced that his father was a Jewish whiskey salesman. And this had quite quite an effect on Justin Welby's sense of self-identity, his sense of who he was, fundamentally. But then he took a DNA test, and in 2016, he discovered that his father was not a Jewish whiskey salesman, but was actually a private secretary to Sir Winston Churchill. Justin Welby was shocked, as you can imagine, and he put out a statement at the time which really struck me. He said this, this revelation about my father, this revelation has, of course, been a surprise But, but, but I know that I find who I am in Jesus Christ, not in genetics. And my identity in him never changes. My identity is in Jesus Christ, and that is what really matters, and it never changes. You see, for a follower of Jesus, there is no more profound truth. Our true identity before God isn't found in our ancestry. It's not found in our distant past. It's not found in our inner self or our desires for self-realization. But it's found in a single person. The unique person of Jesus Christ. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Paul writes again to the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Ephesians chapter 2, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Do you see? Our identity is in Jesus. So if you're here this morning, or watching online, and you don't yet know Jesus, then the good news of the gospel is not an invitation to start getting religious. It's not a requirement to start following lots of holy rules and regulations. It's not even a command to be nice to people. It's an invitation to get to know Jesus, to invite him into your heart, by his Holy Spirit, and to establish your new identity in Christ. A wonderful new identity, an identity that means all these other supposed sources of identity, your past, your inner self, these just don't matter. Even if you're related to Edward III, or your father worked for Winston Churchill, 
or was indeed a Jewish whiskey salesman. But then you might ask, well, that's fine, Jeremy. What does it mean to have your identity in Jesus Christ? Well, of course, our identity is the thing or the person which defines us. It's the the thing or the person in which we place our trust. So to have our identity in Christ is to place our complete trust in him. It's to submit ourselves to him so that we're defined by him, so that we start to become like him. Which means that the real question we need to ask this morning is not who do you think you are, but who do you think Jesus is? Who is this Jesus in whom we are being invited to place our trust? Who is this Jesus by whom we are being asked to define our very selves? Who is this Jesus? Well, the amazing thing is that Luke's gospel was written to answer that very question. If you skip back to chapter 1 and verse 4, we learn that the gospel was written to a friend of Luke called Theophilus. And he wrote that, he wrote that he's writing this gospel so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught, verse 4 of, of chapter 1. And Luke wants us to know who Jesus Christ really is. Why? Because it's good news. It's good news for us and it's good news for the whole world. That's what gospel means, good news. And of course, we had a a foretaste, a glimpse of this good news last week when we heard about John the Baptist. He prophesied that someone greater and more powerful than him would come afterwards and would baptize not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And now Jesus enters stage left, verse 21 of our passage. And Luke's subsequent narrative is carefully and brilliantly crafted to explain who this Jesus Christ is and why we need to take notice of him. Why indeed it is good news. Why to have our identity in this person, Jesus, to be in Christ, is the very best thing that can ever happen to us. And in our passage this morning, we see that Jesus Christ is good news for four reasons in particular. First, we see in verses 21 to 22, we see that Jesus identified with us sinners in his baptism. Now, we know that Jesus was without sin. So why would Jesus even need to be baptized? John had preached a a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus didn't need to be forgiven. So why did he need to be baptized? Well, in one sense, the baptism of Jesus simply marks the beginning of his ministry. He's age 30, his ministry starts with his baptism. But in a more profound sense, by being baptized along with other sinners in the River Jordan, Jesus identified with us in our sin. He plunged deep into our humanity with all its ugly imperfections. Hundreds of years before, the the prophet Isaiah had predicted that the Messiah would be numbered with the transgressors. And here he is being baptized with the transgressors, even though he was sinless. He embraced our sin, embraced us in our sin, 
to save us from our sin. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus identified with us through his baptism. Second, Jesus identified with us in his humanity. And that's where we come to the the long genealogy that um, mercifully Alex missed out. Verses 23 to 38. Now you'll remember there's a genealogy in Matthew's gospel. It's right at the beginning. It's the start of his gospel. And it only goes back through King David to Abraham. It stops at Abraham. Why is that? Well, it's because Matthew's audience for his gospel was primarily a Jewish audience. And Matthew wanted to show that Jesus was in the royal line of David, a king, but he was also the true descendant of Abraham, the person through through whom all God's promises to Abraham would be fulfilled, the person who would, through whom the whole world would be blessed. But Luke's gospel is written primarily for non-Jews. You might say it's written specifically for us. And Luke traces Jesus' bloodline through David, through Abraham, all the way back to Adam. Adam, the, the first son of God, verse 38. Son of God because he was created by God. And the genealogy is placed here after the baptism of Jesus because Luke wants to emphasize that Jesus not only identified with us through his baptism, baptism with sinners, but also he identified with us through his humanity. Jesus is the new Adam, the second Adam, an Adam who will usher in a new humanity, marked not by circumcision, not by divisions between Jew and non-Jew, but marked by the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. And where the first Adam failed because of sin and the devil, this second Adam will triumph over evil as we will see in a moment. So, Jesus identified with us sinners through his baptism. He identified with us through his humanity. And thirdly, we see in chapter 4, with this story of Jesus' trial in the wilderness, we see that Jesus identified with us in our temptations. The first Adam was tempted and failed the test. Israel was tempted in the wilderness for 40 years and failed the test. Now this second Adam comes, this new Adam comes, and he is weakened and made vulnerable by hunger, just as Israel was. And he's tempted in the wilderness, just as Israel was. Not for 40 years, but for 40 nights. The number is significant. But did you notice that this is actually part of God's plan? It was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness. We see that in verse 1 of chapter 4. So God is deliberately making a point here. So what is that point? Well, all too often when we look at this passage, Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, do you know what? We think it's about us. We think it's a kind of self-help guide to resisting the devil and resisting temptation. I read an article on the, on the website entitled 12 Important Lessons We Learn from the Temptation of Jesus Christ. And these were some of the lessons. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. 
Fasting is, is an important spiritual tool for our growth. Yeah, that's, that's true. We must know our scripture to defeat the devil. That's true. We're most vulnerable to the devil when we're weak. Yes, they're all true. But the temptation of Jesus isn't really about us. It's about Jesus. It's about his true identity. It's about where his obedience lies. What's interesting about the three temptations that we read in this passage is that Satan throws these temptations at Jesus and they all challenge his very identity. Turn this stone into bread and satisfy your hunger. Worship me, the devil, rather than God. Throw yourself off this temple. In other words, is Jesus going to place his trust in earthly things or is he going to place his trust and his obedience in God his Father? Jesus is fully human. He shares our humanity. He shared our baptism. He was tempted as we are tempted. But because of his identity, because of his obedience to the Father, he was uniquely, unlike that first Adam, uniquely, unlike Israel, able to resist temptation. So when we root our identity in this person, Jesus Christ, we're not rooting our identity in some aloof deity, some distant prophet or sage with whom we have no real connection. This isn't a distant figure in a tomb like Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius. We see in Luke's gospel that Jesus got deep down and dirty into our humanity. He's in the bloodline of Adam as we are. He mixed it with sinners in his baptism and he experienced vulnerability and temptation as we do. Jesus knows our situation. But the good news, the good news is that Jesus, despite being without sin, identifies with us in our flawed humanity and we can trust him We can identify with Jesus because he knows us. He understands us. But there is even better news. And and that news runs through this passage that we looked at like letters through a stick of Blackpool Rock. Despite the humility of a sinless Jesus being baptized, despite the pathos of a hungry and vulnerable Jesus being tempted by Satan, Luke also tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. Not a flawed son of God, like that first Adam, but the perfect son of God. We see in verse 22 of chapter 3 that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and a voice cries out, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Words that echo uh, the Lord's um, uh, anointing of the king in Psalm 2. Don't you just love the teenage use of the words, I am well pleased? The good news is clear. God has wonderfully intervened in our world by sending his only son to earth, a sinless son, a unique son, a loved son with whom God is well pleased, a son who nevertheless engages with us in our humanity, a son who has business to do with you and with me in our sinfulness. And do you know what? Even Satan recognizes who Jesus is or who he might be. If you are the son of God, the devil asks him, verse 3 and verse 9, chapter 4. 
Satan is challenging the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. And Jesus the Son responds with perfect obedience to the Father in a way that the first Adam didn't, in a way that Israel didn't, in a way that we don't and can't. So all we can do is trust in this Jesus who shared our humanity, this Jesus who identified with us as sinners to save us as sinners, this Jesus who is the second Adam, who was the faithful, obedient Son of God. As someone once said, it's only his faithful obedience that is adequate to cover our disobedience. It is only his faithful obedience that is adequate to cover our disobedience. Paul put it slightly differently, Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So as I conclude, I come back to my first question. Who do you think you are? If you're a follower of Jesus, then the answer is simple. You are a new creation in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then what are you waiting for? We'd love to tell you more about Jesus. Why not join us on this uh, second showing of the, of, the cho- of the Chosen this evening, six o'clock? Because once you start to discover who Jesus is as revealed to us in the Gospels, and especially as revealed to us in this passage in Luke, we find a Jesus who was and is truly unique, fully human, baptized like us, tempted like us, born like us. A Jesus who understands our predicament, but he was and is also fully God. Declared God's special son, loved by God, the perfect image of God, completely without sin, able to triumph over Satan. If we place our trust in him, if we root our identity in him, then we need have no fear. And that, my friends, is good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus into the world to share our humanity, to be numbered among the transgressors, to share our temptations, that we might be saved from our sins. We thank you that he is your son, loved by you, empowered by your spirit, able to triumph over Satan. Help us day by day to place our trust in him, to root our identity in him, that we might reflect your glory in the world. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.